This episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you exclusively by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command, and somewhere in the Bajor sector, where we're kind of searching for some Maquis-type folks. Greetings, everyone. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. Thank you so much for downloading. We know that so many people find this show brand new every week, and we want to welcome everyone in. It's some great Star Trek discussion between two friends who've known each other for almost 25 years. Wow, that sounds like a long time now that I say it. And... And see, I know, right? And since I've invoked that, let me introduce my co-host, the lovely and talented Dan Davidson, and my aforementioned dear friend. Hey, buddy. Good morning. How are you doing? Hey, hey pal. Wow, that was a that was a nice introduction. Thank you. There's there's a first time for everything, isn't there? Well, I figured that we should lull people in with a false sense of security by making them think we like each other before I tell them what a big jerk you are. <laughs> oh, so I was just going to say you're a big jerk. So thank you. No, it's good to be here. Always looking forward to sitting down and talking some Star Trek with you, man. As you said, 25 years. Good, good Lord. That's that's a long time, but it's only half the amount of time that Star Trek has been around. So I guess we got a ways to go. Indeed, we do. And in fact, you know, I mentioned people are finding, you know, our show every week for the first time and. This is actually episode number 137, so you and I have done this dance uh, a lot, and yet we still do it because we love Star Trek. Have we done this dance a lot, or have we done this dance a lot? Because that's, uh, that's what it sounded like you said. You are way too awake so, this morning. I'm just going to I am very awake. Yes. Uh, yeah, 137. It's amazing. Every single one of these episodes has been a joy to do. I'm looking forward to this one because... For people who may have been listening more than just this week for the first time, the last couple of weeks, we have been deep diving into Deep Space Nine episodes and specifically the Eddington arc, 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 arc. I've been waiting all week to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You have, too, because I could just see it just you know, sort of lurking in the background like, oh, do I get to say it now? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. It's it's, it's so, a pivotal arc for Benjamin Sisko in the series, and this is Deep Space Nine's 25th anniversary year, and... And we kind of felt like we had to talk about this one. 
absolutely. The entire arc is fantastic, fantastic from for the cause to for the uniform, and it wraps up with the episode that we're going to talk about today, which is Blaze of Glory. I will not start singing. Don't worry about it. Um, but it's another it's another pivotal episode, not just for Deep Space Nine as a whole, but for Cisco and for obviously for Eddington. So it's going to be a great conversation. And as always, I can't wait to start talking about it. Same here. Well, people are going to want to hear what we have to say about it, and then they might want to give us their thoughts on this really pivotal arc between these two amazing characters. How might they route those comments, suggestions, or queries to us, my friend? Routing is easier than ever, actually, Bill. So folks, head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you'll find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts. And please do, because we love hearing from our listeners. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and leave us a message about anything that might be on your Star Trek mind. Plus, don't forget, you can click the big blue button on the right side of the website and even leave us a message using SpeakPipe. We'd love it if you would also join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There are great things happening over there like Star Trek talk, Star Trek pictures, contests and polls. Plus, as we've talked about recently, the brand new Friday commute celebration where you will be able to watch Bill and I actually lip sync during our commute home from work on Friday afternoons. It's a lot of fun. And a big bonus, as a member of Camp Kittimer, you're going to get early access to the episodes of the Trek Geeks podcast before they are even released. But to join the group, head right over to Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, or maybe even Bill or myself, will let you right on in to join the fun. But please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Bill. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Why are we talking like this? No idea. All right. Let's go to the news. It's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. That was almost very theatrical. That was very nice. Thank you. All right. Well, we're it back in and out for guy. So, Dan, we've got lots to talk about this week. Um, some discovery news, some non-discovery news. I, I just, there's so much in the news that first we're going to talk about the fact that discovery has been wetting our appetites with some interesting details in a brand new teaser video they released on social media teaser video that i was not expecting and when i watched it jaw hit floor it was pretty awesome yeah uh as you said bill a new behind the scenes video dropped this past week on social media from star trek discovery i believe it dropped on april 26th it was awesome because it had some great behind the scenes construction stuff and it had an amazing voiceover by the original captain pike by michael burnham and Leonard Nimoy Spock. It was really something. And we got to see, oh my God, we got to see TOS style uniforms in flashes 
which was awesome. As I mentioned, there were some set construction scenes. And um, you pointed this out to me. OMG, Spock's quarters on the Enterprise. That's correct. I can't wait. You know, and uh, somebody on Twitter found, you know, this nugget. They, they used the nameplate from Spock's quarters in the original series and compared it to the the number of the door that Michael Burnham was walking through in, the, in one of the shots of the video, and it is the same. Um, so oh. she is walking into Spock's quarters aboard the Enterprise. So um, I, I, I'm stunned. I, I, I can't wait. You get to see a little flash of, of the back of Anton Mount's head as Captain Pike, which looks uh-huh. exciting. And there's some figure standing to his right in a blue tunic, which could be Spock. We don't know. No, we don't know. What, um, this is one of the, the attention to details we've talked about so much over on Discovering Trek with what this writing team and the creative staff over at Discovery is doing. Little details. I, I would have never. I, I'll admit it. I may be super fan 1701, but I couldn't read off Spock's uh, uh, room number to you off the top of my head. But somebody found it and they've even brought this into Discovery. So. I just can't wait to see what's going to happen. And just this little teaser video just sets us up for, for an amazing summer of, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Well, you know, last summer we went through, you know, announcement after announcement of casting, right? Mm-hmm. And we got more excited with each successive announcement. So, so far we've had a couple of casting announcements. We've seen this little teaser video. And I'd say that my excitement and anticipation is probably even greater than it was last summer. And I didn't honestly mm-hmm. think that was possible. It, it's a good point. I, you know, the excitement level was amazing, but at the same time, we were also, I think, a little nervous because you know, new Trek is it going to be? Is it going to be something that is going to be awesome? We didn't know, and of course, now we know, and because we know how awesome the first season of Discovery was. Yes, I said it for everybody out there who may not agree. It was an awesome first season of Discovery. Seeing these little snippets that we saw in just this little teaser video just makes me want it so much more. It makes me think of last year when they started sending out the little 15 second videos of the different types of equipment, really, you know, just flashes of the equipment, like the phaser and and the communicator. Right. These videos are awesome. And I, and I hope they continue to do these this summer, just like they did last year. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I have a feeling that with uh, just under 100 days to go to Star Trek, Las Vegas, we're going to get teased even more and it's going to drive us crazy <laughs> in a very good way. Yes, in a yes. very good way. You know, moving on, Dan, you know, I know how excited you are that our friends at Eagle Moss are now official sponsors here on the Trek Geeks podcast. But I'm pretty sure that your excitement went into warp drive the other night when this news came out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you exactly how excited I was in just a second. But um, Destination Star Trek is happening in Jersey, uh, in Jersey, Germany. Let me say that again. It's happening in Germany. Um, and on Friday, this past Friday, Eagle Moss gave a preview of their upcoming ships, which include the Shepard class USS Kerala, which is going to be coming out in September. And for the first time, we got to see the Discovery era Klingon bird of prey. Both just look amazeballs. They are just so great. I cannot wait to see them in person. Um, but huh, uh, I'm I'm getting excited just talking about it right now. The news that it literally and my 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 sister can and brother in law can can tell you this really happened. I was dancing in the living room of my sister's house this past Friday night when the announcement came that the Pike era enterprise that we saw in the finale of discovery's first season is going to be an eagle moss starship it might be a ways down the road bill but 
I will be getting that one uh, and maybe more than one, maybe a few have a little fleet of my own Pike era enterprises from discovery. Oh my God, it looks amazing. Go check it out. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, these, these discovery starships that Eagle Moss is doing are they're bigger and Mm -hmm. the detail is just as, is even more amazing than it is on the, on the, the regular size ships that they do as part of the official Star Trek star starships collection, which we'll talk about in just a bit. But I can imagine what that, that, enterprise from discovery is going to look like as one of those larger models and i'm i i yeah i want a fleet of them just like you do it's amazing you know i'm going to be honest i've only watched that last scene of discovery's first season twice and 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 i i don't want to overwatch it because i i can't wait to see what it's what's going to happen in season two but the detail on that ship i know people have been you know oh this is different that's different it's awesome it takes place before tos so there can be changes it is gorgeous it is beautiful and to have this in a ship that i can hold in my hand or put at my desk i i cannot thank eagle moss enough for for announcing this because it's something that i'm going to be looking forward to until the day it's available to click on that place order button I guarantee you I won't drop that one because my hands will never come near it. <laughs> I don't think you could guarantee anything like that. That's wow. really drawn the line, man. <laughs> wow. Okay, moving on. Dan, there's also some pretty big news this week. And for once, it is not Discovery related. It's big screen movie related. This came as a shock, too. What the great thing about the announcements that we have had this week is they've all been like, oh, my God, didn't even expect that. And this was one of them. Paramount has confirmed that there are not one, but there are two Star Trek movies in the works. And in addition to that news, the big news is that S.J. Clarkson has been set to be the director of the fourth Star Trek reboot movie. Um, And this is historic because finally we're going to have a woman direct a Star Trek movie. I think that is fantastic. It is another perfect example of IDIC. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, and so, though I'm sure will be more news coming around in regards to this fourth movie. Um, also of note of said movie, according to the information, Chris Hemsworth will be playing George Kirk in the next movie, as we heard about last year. And it's going to be interesting because, as we all know, he was killed in the opening sequence of the 2009 reboot. So how they bring him back or what's going on with him should be very interesting to see. I just love Thor being in Star Trek. So that's going to be pretty cool. And um, none of the main cast have been signed to contracts yet. But Bill, I don't think that's anything that you and I really need to be concerned with. I'm sure it's going to happen. And I can't wait. I'm sure it's going to happen, too. I mean, this this brings to to light some interesting details. So uh, S.J. Clarkson, the 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 announced director, this is pretty exciting because, I mean, it's not like she's never directed anything before. She's directed episodes of Dexter and Bates Motel and Orange is the New Black and and even episodes of the Marvel series, Jessica Jones and the Defenders. So, I mean, she she knows, you know, good content. And I'm pretty sure that she's going to do fantastically with Star Trek. Some news outlets have misreported this as Star Trek's first ever woman director in the fran- franchise history. That's incorrect. First was Gabrielle Beaumont really? back in 1989 on Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, so, you know, they're, they're reporting it incompletely uh, as saying it's it's the first one in the history of the franchise. No, it's the first one in the history of the movies. Uh-huh. Yes. So, Okay, then I did say it right. You yeah, you, you did. You said it perfectly right. <laughs> a variety, okay. a variety, the industry trade reported it wrong. So, um, gotcha. The other interesting thing, of course, this means there's now two Star Trek movies in development, potentially. The other one mm-hmm. being Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek, 
which as we've read this past weekend would be a separate movie that that could be possibly a, a separate timeline we don't know yet but it's not necessarily related to the kelvin timeline that we've been seeing so far in these movies I think we touched on it a little bit when we talked about the Tarantino possibility a, a month or two back. But if it's going to be a different timeline or a different era or whatnot, it's Tarantino. I'm I'm going to put my money down on hopefully a Mirror Universe movie. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have no interest in a Tarantino movie because I find him repugnant and repulsive. And I don't want yes. him anywhere near Star Trek. Um, but I'm glad that it's separate but, from yeah. the the Kelvin timeline. Yes. because yeah, I, I just I, I don't think he would fit in that realm if it's a mirror movie i mean i i i worry if we have the potential for mirror burnout but we'll see yeah we will see and i and i do have to agree with you i'm not we we talked about it when we talked about tarantino a, a little while back like i just mentioned but neither one of us are are looking forward to a tarantino movie um, for the reasons that you mentioned, but, uh, I, I, I would have to say that based on what we read this week and the quotes that were coming, uh, off these articles, it sounds like, it sounds like they're the, the powers that be are thinking that this is something that's going to happen, at least from what we've seen. So if it happens, it happens and just hope it's, it's done well. Well, you know, plenty of movies, you know, come close to happening and then don't happen. So it's entirely possible that, True. that still nothing may come of it. It's entirely possible that it may spawn an entirely new you know, a uh, branch of the feature films, either is possible. So we will see. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I, we shall. Either way, I'm very jazzed about Star Trek four and the fact that SJ Clarkson is going to be directing what could very well be a, a monumentally epic movie. And I think that's really the exciting takeaway. I can't wait to see what she's going to bring to the screen. Neither can I. I, it's, it's great news. All the news this week has been fantastic. And, and, uh, wow, what a great time to be a Star Trek fan. And uh, Dan, lastly, I almost forgot about this one. I don't know how I could, but uh, QMX on the sly released uh, a brand new item for sale that um, they just sort of slid in and didn't tell anybody about. Well, they don't you don't they don't like to tell people about this particular organization. So <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand with how they do things. We saw it in the first episode of Discovery and all season long people were asking, what are those badges with nothing? They're just like these black badges. What's going on? And and then we had the little 2-minute extra uh dropped uh in the spring uh with the mirror Georgiou at a bar and a trill guy shows up and Welcome to section 31 with a, with a badge, the Delta. So yeah, QMX released it. Oh, I think I'm going to be, and now I'm going to be adding it to my collection. I can tell you that right now. And I know there's a lot of argument. They're a secret organization. Why would they have a Delta? You know what? I don't care. It looks awesome. And I'm going to have one. And I think you will too. <laughs> You're probably right about that. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, yeah, just take my gold press latinum right now, uh, because I'm going to fork it over hand over fist to get one of those bad boys. I have to put in some overtime for all the stuff I'm going to be getting in Vegas this year. Oh my God. I it's, you know, there were a couple of other cons I wanted to go to this year and, uh, the, the increased flight you know, cost to go to Vegas has mm. kind of made that an impossibility, but uh, it's not coming away from my, uh, my swag budget. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Excellent.
Yeah, Dan, we like to geek out about Trek on this podcast because, you know, it's called Trek Geeks. And lately, you and I have been truly and honestly geeking out over the official Star Trek Starships collection available exclusively from our friends at Eagle Moss Collections and officially authorized by CBS Studios. You and I have seen a lot of these ships, and this uh, this truly is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe. You know, there's the original series, you know, through Next Gen to DS9, Voyager, all the way to the movies, through Star Trek, beyond and beyond. It's, hey, hey. Yeah, I know, right? It's, uh, it's uh, really amazing, the fleet of ships that they've built, and they're, they're all incredible. They are all incredible, and you, you made a very key point just a second ago, Bill. We've seen these ships. I have never held one of these ships until this very moment. For the first time ever, I'm actually holding the Enterprise D model in my hands as we record. And I am overwhelmed by the amount of detail that's in this in this model. It, what's great is, you know, we've heard the commercials for Eagle Moss's star, uh, official Star Trek Starships collection before. And I thought they were going to be smaller than they are, and they're not. They f- this Enterprise D fits in the palm of my hand completely, from from my wrist to the tip of my fingers, and the detail in this is just amazing. Um, I'm holding it up against my computer right now, where the light from my screen is shining, and the light comes through the warp nacelle blue crystals and red crystals in the back of the ship. It's phenomenal. They are unbelievable. It's very sturdy. It's 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 glorious. Is the only word glorious is the word, Bill. It's glorious. They are glorious. You know, I'm holding in my hands my own personal uh, USS Enterprise from the original series. And like your Enterprise D, it fits in the palm of my hand. And the detail is is just as exacting because it, you figure that, that all of these models, Dan, are made from die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials. And then these things are hand-painted, you know, with reference to the actual CG models that were used in the productions. And when they have them, photos of the original studio models, like in the case of the TOS Enterprise, you know, and then of course I'm looking at this ship and it's in a beautiful display base. And I, I actually love the Eagle Moss display bases because they're designed to fit around the starship and not to plug into the starship. And these ships also come with this beautiful collector's magazine, which gives us behind the scenes info and then like original design sketches and then it actually does like a an in-universe breakdown of the technology on board, which is always the kind the thing I really find interesting. You get the best of both worlds. You get the production angle, and then you get the in-universe angle, which I just, uh, like we said, I totally geek out about. You just mentioned an, an, an a TNG episode in your in your description, and I I commend you for that. You get bonus points. I'm actually flipping through the magazine now because I have the magazine in my hand. Finally, it's awesome. It's like a full eight and a half by eleven magazine. It's got a beautiful picture episode. Uh, um, um, edition number one has a beautiful picture of the Enterprise D on the cover, and the detail of the ship and and all the different things about the model and the design of the starship, the original starship design for the show is in this magazine the the quality of the paper is is like like awesome and i can't recommend it enough it's it's really really great and i know that a lot of people listening probably want to figure out how they can get it well it's really easy all you to do all you need to do to subscribe to the collection is uh head right on over to st-starships.com slash trek geeks it's just that easy, and you will be able to get the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D for only $4.95 with free shipping. Bill, there is free shipping included as well. I love it. That's pretty cool. That is a- It's awesome. Additional models, 
I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> additional models uh, of over 100 so far will ship twice monthly and will be delivered directly to your very own door or turbo lift or whatever it is that you want it delivered to. <laughs> well, you know, Dan, here's the surprise. So thanks to Eagle Moss, we are going to do something very special this week. We are going to give four listeners their own Enterprise D with its full color magazine and display stand from the official Star Trek Starships collection. And uh, I can't wait to give these to people. All you have to do is find us on Twitter at Trek Geeks and tell us about your favorite ship in the Star Trek universe using the hashtag. Send your ships. <laughs> that hashtag send your ships will enter you in a drawing to win one of the four starships that we're giving away. So. Unfortunately, this contest is limited to residents of the United States, and you have to get your tweet out there on the interwebs by Sunday, May 6, 2018 at 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. But remember, you have to use the hashtag send your ships to qualify to win. This is fantastic news. We are just so excited about this. But listen, folks, don't forget, as a subscriber, you're also entitled to free gifts worth over $90. And you can cancel your subscription at any time, but you're not going to want to. Uh, full details can be found, again, at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And fans who would like to purchase their favorite ships individually can certainly do that, too, for just a few dollars more at either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic book shop. So remember to subscribe. That's st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And we truly thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this episode of your independent Star Trek podcast. Dan, we convene on the third episode in the ep Eddington arc, 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 arc. And of course, we we're talking nice. about Blaze of Glory. I had forgotten that it had occurred so quickly after For the Uniform. You know, I was looking through Netflix to to watch the episode to recap for this week, and I start looking at season six. I'm like, oh, it's not there. I wait. No, I know Jadzia yeah. is in that episode somewhere. It's not in season seven, and it's like episode yeah. twenty three of season five. I had forgot it had occurred that quickly in the production schedule. It's funny because the for the cause took place eight months prior to for the uniform, and that was in a different season altogether. So you're yeah. absolutely right. I did the exact same thing. Um, I was like, God, is it, is it stretch? Is it, is it a long period of time in between? I did start in season five and found it and I was surprised. I'm like, wow, I would have thought it would have been in season six. So I like how they did this because we've talked about how this is an arc, but it takes place over, you know, this one happens and then there's a lot of episodes before we get back to it again. And then there's another one kind of quick to wrap it up. I like how they did that. Um, I was very, very pleased with the wrap up of, of the Eddington arc. Only one. Um, and, uh, I've been looking forward to this discussion since I rewatched the episode the other day, because based on our discussion last week, I have new thoughts and views over, uh, our beloved captain and how he handled things. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. I, um, I sat down and watched this and it, as I remembered it, you know, if I think about the three episodes, you know, I kind of feel the same way about this episode that I do about Return of the Jedi um, <laughs> in, in the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, I love Star Wars. I adore The Empire Strikes Back. I think it's the best movie of the three. And then Return of the Jedi to me is a bit of a, a letdown. It's not terrible by any means, mm -hmm. but it's not the story I wanted. And that's kind of how I feel about 
blaze of glory, to be honest. And we're going to get mm-hmm. more into that shortly. Um, I, I feel for me, it's a little anticlimactic and I don't really feel like it's a blaze of glory. I don't want to telegraph my hand a little too much, but um, we're going to dive into some of that. Um, if you could for us, do you want to give us the high level sketch of how we got to where we are before blaze of glory in sort of like two minutes or less? In two minutes or less, I can easily do that. I can probably do it in 10 seconds if you run a real high level, but I won't, I won't do that. So as we know, Eddington worked on the station for uh, 18 months as one of, uh, as the Federation chief of security on the station worked alongside with Odo. And then we find out, oh, he's also the leader of the Maquis and he has been deceiving Cisco for a long time, setting up plans to steal um, high level uh, replicators that are going to be given to the Cardassians. Um, he, uh, disappears into the Badlands for a number of months. Cisco's been searching for him for eight months and is in coming up empty. Uh, finally tracks him down. There's battles, there's discussions, there's insults, there's books about French people stealing bread. Um, and because Cisco goes a little crazy and poisons a planet that humans will never be able to live on for 50 years and is going to do it again to another Maquis planet, Eddington turns himself in. How's that? That was pretty good. Uh, you you did that way faster than the patented three minute recap that we go through. That's just, that's fantastic. Here's a real quick one. There's this guy. He does something wrong. He's a criminal, and Cisco catches him. <laughs> that uh, that's that's really great. I'm really impressed by you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> for wow. once. For once. This is recorded. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so in our last episode, you know, we got some really good feedback. Um, but. We often refer to Eddington as the leader of the Maquis, but we have to stress that we don't know if there's an actual leader of the Maquis. He's probably a high ranking, you know, terrorist of sorts, but the whole architecture of the Maquis is so that there is not a centralized leader. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's not one person that can take the whole organization down. And that's kind of really how terrorist organizations sort of work in the real world that we've come to learn to some extent. I think though that he's kind of a figurehead for the Maquis. Um sure, I I'll did like how I did like how in this uh episode we talked about it last week, we talked about Cal Hudson a little bit uh from the episode or the two part episode, the Maquis, uh, and they discussed him and we talked about whether or not or somebody actually wrote into us uh explaining whether or not they thought that Cal Hudson was the actual leader of the Maquis before Eddington kind of took over that position. It was an interesting um message that was sent uh, to us about our episode but yeah i can agree there's probably no no real leader of the maquis because uh, sort of like with the bajoran terrorist organizations when they were fighting the cardassians nobody knew who was above them nobody knew who was below them because that way things were kept secret and and plans weren't uh uncovered and people weren't killed this that and the other thing so i can i can understand the idea of not having a real leader but i do kind of look at him as the figurehead of the organization especially after the events of for the uniform well i think that's what the writers want to do in this case because you know he represents you know the maquis threat and when he is neutralized theoretically the maquis threat is neutralized at least in the eyes of benjamin cisco to some extent so i can Mm -hmm. understand it from that level but i think it's important to draw the distinction that you know cal hudson was a leader of the maquis but not necessarily the leader because they told us that in that episode Mm-hmm. And then TNG yep. also and, uh, told back in uh, with uh, Ensign Rowe, back in uh, what preemptive strike. Correct. And I did like uh, on the on the um, 
I, on the topic of continuity, I did like how they did how they brought up Cal in this episode, Blaze of Glory. Spoiler alert for those who might not have seen it. They talk about how he was killed, which I thought was a good. It was a very good thing to bring him in, but then it was another great idea to have some closure to that character because he was kind of left, you know, just you know, escaping uh, in the Maquis two-parter, and that always kind of bothered me a little bit. So now at least we have some closure as to what actually happened to him, even if it wasn't a great thing. Well, and there's a great reaction from Cisco, or I should say from Avery mm-hmm. Brooks in that scene, when he finds out that his longtime friend is now dead, you know, you, you can see the pain, you can see how he wished it would have turned out differently. You know, you could see that the, this is a, this is a guy whom he had a lot of affection and respect and love for. And, and because of his choices to lead a terrorist group, he's, he's no longer alive. And that, you can tell that eats at Cisco. Here's where I have a little bit of a problem with that scene though, Bill. I'm sure. glad you brought that up. Look at, let's look at Cal and let's look at Eddington. Two guys that did the same thing. They decided to leave Starfleet for what they believed in with the, what the Maquis was doing. The reaction that Cisco has had for both of them is so opposite of each other. I found it a little, I'm surprised Eddington really didn't, really didn't get on him about the reaction. He was a good man was the quote that Cisco used. Okay. Yes, he was. And he was friends, but. Eddington was a good man before he decided to go to the Maquis too. I would think they worked together for 18 months, maybe because Cisco knew Cal so much longer. He had that different, but the, the difference in opinions between just two different people was to me a little bit hypocritical on Cisco's part. Interesting. I've always looked at it mm. from the perspective of with, with Cal Hudson, at least that Cal was like a brother to Ben, you know, that, you know, even when your brother does something that you don't agree with, you love him anyway. And you hope that he he makes a different choice, but you know, you at the end of the day, he's still your brother, and I, that was kind of how I approached that scene when I saw it. You know, and Cisco's okay. heart of hearts, he does believe Cal was a good man because you know, Cal kind of is, you know, but Cal also wasn't uh, necessarily poisoning worlds either, as far as we know. So mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe it's because. Eddington purposefully deceived Cisco, whereas Cal kind of did something different and had that closer relationship. I'm not sure, but you bring up a really interesting point. I hadn't considered it from that angle before. It's just something that's that that really stood out to me when I was rewatching it uh, just the other day. I was like, wow, he's so nonchalant about Cal and and how much of a good man he was. And nonchalant in that he wasn't like yelling and screaming like he was with Eddington when when Cal uh betrayed the federation and and the way that he reacted with his death just i was like wow really it's kind of a little bit different of how you've been handling the eddington arc 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 (laughs) that's you're never gonna get tired of that are you never ever never never (laughs) so this episode starts off with a communication that gets intercepted and it's Mm -hmm. about missiles um that are going to attack cardassia um and they need more information about it. So Cisco says, oh, I know who can give us more information. So he goes to see Michael Eddington in Starfleet jail, which looks a lot like, like- <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Regular one. Yes. It looks just <laughs> like regular one. In fact, it is the same uh, shot from Star Trek to the wrath of Khan. Um, oh, yes. the regular one space station, you know, they, they took it right out of the film and dropped it in the episode. Hysterical. Um, so he goes to see him in space jail and they have a pretty interesting scene. I think it's, a, I think for me, it's the most compelling scene of the episode to some extent, 
because they're not continually trying to have uh, a one-upsmanship after that. It's the most honest conversation they have in the entire episode, even though Eddington isn't being exactly truthful. Right. And and let's also add that, yeah, these missiles are, are supposedly heading towards Cardassia and the Klingons, oops, decided to aid the Maquis by giving them cloaking devices that they thought were going to be used for ships. And now it turns out they might be used for these missiles, which is why they can't be tracked. And they have they have these missiles are programmed to change direction at any given time. And so they're going to be hard to find. So that's why Cisco needs to talk to Eddington. And you're right. That scene in the jail, I, I found it. To me, Eddington was a little a little manic in that episode, the, his eyes and, and the way that he was just kind of smirking because he knew that he was holding Cisco over a barrel, but pretending that he didn't know anything about it. But his biggest mistake, I think, in that scene is as soon as he starts playing the message and he sees Rebecca on the screen, he shuts it off. And he's like, oh, well, this isn't for me. The way that he does it is like, yeah, this it's so easy to tell that this was meant ex- especially for you, Mr. Eddington. But uh, a very good scene. I, I, I half expected at any given moment that Cisco would drop the field and go into the cell to be a little bit more ominous and threatening towards Eddington. Mm-hmm. But that never happened because, as you said, it was a very calm discussion between the two of them, the most calm and the most productive that they had had in quite a long time. Even though Eddington plays him, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was productive Again. on the part of Michael Eddington because ultimately he's getting what he wants in this case. And as we learn later yes. in the episode, you know, if, if Cisco you know, hadn't, you know, taken the bait, he would have just approached it from a different angle and the same outcome would have occurred. You know, despite the fact that Cisco gets played, a lot happens in this scene and anything kind of lets a little more of his true colors, you know, be revealed about his feelings of the Cardassians and, and how much hate he has. Um, and that, that uh, I think he goes from, you know, defending the ideals he believes in, I think to actual hatred of the Cardassians in my mind, which is, it's a bit, it's uncomfortable for me, to be honest. It's not what I expected yeah. because that wasn't necessary. He, he seemed to be fighting for something a lot more honorable in the last episode. And in this episode, it seems just more like, um, I hate Cardassians, if that makes sense. It does. The other thing that I found interesting about the scene, and it, it makes me think because he was playing Ben perfectly, exactly what he wanted to do, and he would have done done it from another angle like you just mentioned if cisco didn't do what he expected um he was just talking about how he just rather just lay there and let the jemhadar blow the station to bits and kill him and this that and the other thing did he really mean that or was he just playing to ben again over and over like he always does it's like how do you know when this guy's telling the truth and when he's not telling the truth because he does it so often that's what I was thinking of, especially I found it funny. He would he would lay down, put his head back and just be like, OK, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. And then Ben would say something and he'd sit up and he'd give that look and he'd say something and then just lie down again. And then he'd get up again. And it, I just found that quite humorous, actually. Yeah, I know what you mean. He does blur the lines, <laughs> but I have to believe that some of that is what yeah. he actually believes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I have a feeling that, you know, if that were the case and if there was no way he was going to get back to to his Maquis buddies and and his wife, as we find out later that he would have just let the station blow up around him um, and and not really oh. cared per se. Uh, well, he would have cared, but he would have let it happen simply because that was the end game at that point. Um, yeah. So, so Cisco does what makes the most sense in the world. He puts him in a runabout in handcuffs and says, let's go to the Badlands. What could possibly go wrong with this? 
<laughs> those are cool handcuffs too. <laughs> they really were. <laughs> and I don't know why he thought he couldn't eat with those handcuffs on because it looked pretty easy. <laughs> it looked pretty easy and he could have just done like a pie eating contest with his hands behind his back type of thing and just put his face right into the plate. That's how I usually eat. So I, I don't know what the problem was. Well, I didn't want to say anything to embarrass you publicly. Um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the B plot in this episode because Oh, God. I, I know, I know, because the other two episodes, or the last episode, I should say, for the uniform, didn't really have necessarily a B-plot that was this pronounced. And I, I almost feel like this B-plot doesn't work in this episode at all. I don't know how you feel. Really? Yeah. I love the B-plot in this. It gives us a little bit of a, a, a humorous break, if you can kind of, if you want to look at it that way, of the of what's going on with Cisco and Eddington. I think the B story in this is just hysterical. I love uh, what happens between uh, Ra, uh, Nog and the Klingons. I, I, I and the, the interaction with Martok uh, is, is just, I love it. I absolutely love I, it. I think it's good. I just don't think it works in the context of this particular episode because I think that it, it, it breaks up, the tension and the drama from the Cisco Eddington story really kind of awkwardly. I think it, it could have worked in any other story, maybe a more ship in a bottle type story. But um, I, I just, for some reason in this episode, it just, it falls flat for me because so much hinges on the other storyline. It's interesting. They say that I looked at it as so much, so much hinged on the a plot that this was kind of a nice little escape. Now let's, let's look at what happened in for the cause, the B story in that one with Zial and Garrick, I thought was another breakaway from what was going on with the A story. And it was done in a great way. I look at this as a similar thing, but they used more. I mean, even though it was a serious situation, Nogni is looking for the respect that he feels he deserves as a cadet and as a security officer, but they brought a lot of, of humor into it, especially at the very beginning. It's, it's obviously the, the, the B plot is centered around Nog and the very beginning when they're having dinner in Cisco's quarters, another hilarious moment with Jake when they're, they're having earth food, <laughs> but Cisco decides to put puree of tube grubs on it because we should be trying their food just like Nog's trying ours. I thought that was great. It was a, it was a great icebreaker for the episode and it kind of didn't show anything of what was yet to come. It was a surprise of what was going to happen next. And I thought as the episode continued along that Nog and Martok story continued in a way that made me smile and gave a little bit of relief for, for a quick moment or two about the tension of the A story. I can respect that. I think that in For the Cause, you know, we didn't know that it was essentially the story of, of Michael Eddington's betrayal until, say, Act 4. We thought it was the story of Cassidy Yates' betrayal of Benjamin Sisko. Mm -hmm. um, and that really kind of became the B story <laughs> at, at that point um, <laughs> once Eddington revealed himself in a way. Um, but the Zial Garrick thing also worked in context of that episode because it fit along the theme. In, in this particular episode, um, I, I don't know that this one works as well for me. Like I said, I think it's some great character development for Nog. I think the interplay between Aaron Eisenberg and J.G. Hertzler is, is really great. I think they work well together in the scenes they're in. It just, for some reason, it seems really unbalanced to me in the scope of this particular episode. I think it's just personal preference. That's cool. I can respect that. Oh, thanks, buddy. So, 
Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's a series of of scenes on board the runabouts where they're trying to evade a Jem'Hadar patrol. And there's this sort of give and take between Eddington and Cisco, where it seems like they're they're constantly trying to one up each other to some extent. And there's a lot of witty repartee, which uh, some people may like and some people may not like. And that's fine. But ultimately, they land on the the planet Athos 4, where the launch pad is supposed to be hidden well by interference. And they encounter a Jem'Hadar patrol, and that kind of changes the tone of what Cisco and Eddington are there to do, wouldn't you say? Right. Absolutely. And in addition to the patrol, when they get down to Athos 4, there's a lot of dead Maquis laying around and patrol of Jem'Hadar soldiers on the planet, which was completely unexpected from Eddington's point of view. And I think that that brings home uh, for I, Eddington, you know, exactly how grave this all is. I think from prison, he may have had a sense, but I don't think he realized it was as bad. Yeah. Um, you could see the despair and sort of the slump in the shoulders when he turned the corner of the corridor after he had seen a few dead Maquis turn the corner and there are dozens of them just laying all on the ground in that corridor. I think that's when the weight of the situation really hit him um, and kind of thought that all hope was lost because at this point we still don't know what's really going on with the missiles but in his head i can only imagine he's saying this is all for nothing everybody's dead not knowing that there was still some people alive in that hidden room and these are his people you know this is Mm -hmm. this is a kick in the gut to him because these are the people that he's you know been side by side with these are these are the people who who have taken up the cause together these are the people who are, are his brothers and sisters in arms to some extent and there they are, you know, dead at his feet. And I got to imagine he feels not unlike the way Cisco felt, you know, an act before when they were talking about Cal Hudson, because these are the people that are close to Michael Eddington. I think he also makes mention, and, and it makes me feel how Cisco would feel as captain of the station if he lost people or how he feels when he loses people under his command. I think he mentioned something about them being his responsibility. So not only are they friends and supporters of his cause with the Maquis, but he was also the person that was in charge of this cell or group or maybe or whatever it was. And you can tell that, you know, that loss uh, affects him both. I don't know. Professionally is the right word because he's not really a professional Maquis, um, but it hits him in more ways than one, I think. And that's, that's very apparent in this scene to me. Yeah, no, it's uh, it really does. I mean, he feels the burden of of leadership. You know, when you get that close to people, exactly. you know, it, it's not just you, you're losing people that that you've commanded. You're you're losing people with whom you share something, and and that's that's really I, I think what gets him. I think you're right. Um, and then it's revealed that you know the woman who who sent the message is the wife of Michael Eddington, and I think that's. That's really kind of what made me at first, the, the first time I saw this back during season five, go, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one bit. Eddington introduces Cisco to his wife, Rebecca Sullivan. And I think Cisco looks as kind of stunned in a way as much as we all do with that deer in the headlights look. Yeah, absolutely. And to top it off, yes, he has a wife. And yes, Ben, he is a human being who can love as well as have a cause that you may not believe in. But as it turns out, the entire missile thing is a hoax and just a signal to get to Eddington that Rebecca and the people uh, in this group are on the planet and need to get picked up. That, yeah. to me, was the real kick in the gut. Yeah. And that's, 
you know, I may be telegraphing this a little bit too early, but this is this is really the element of the story that doesn't necessarily work for me as well. Um, mm. And if we want to cross that bridge now, we can. That's fine. But I felt sure. like it was. I I understood what they were trying to do. I mean, they had to give Eddington something to fight for that was personal. At least that's how I interpret it. And they had right. to find a way to get him to this place. So they create this message. And I just, for me, I, I thought it was a bit of a um, a letdown to some extent. Um, I, it seemed like, you know, that there was this fever pitch to get these missiles. And all of a sudden, oh, oh, it, it's about your wife? Oh. Mm. Okay. It, I guess it, for me, it was a little underwhelming. I thought that um, it would have been good if they had carried forth some threat other than the Gem Hadar that perhaps Cisco and Eddington needed to work together on a little more closely, more than just getting the people off the planet, if that makes sense. It makes sense. What I would have liked to have seen, and this is, I don't want to get too convoluted in this, but I would have liked the missile situation to been real. Yes. Yes. Even if they threw in this element of Rebecca into it. So they get Rebecca and they get the others. And now they have everybody that they want, that they could, could rescue. And instead, and I don't want to, you know, give away too much, but it's going to happen anyway, later on in, in our discussion, instead of Michael staying behind and going out in a blaze of glory, um, <laughs> If something had happened along the lines where they break away and they find the missiles and at the last second, Eddington has another ship that he puts in the path of the missiles to save Cardassia and the Federation from getting into a war with the Dominion, that kind of blaze of glory ending, I think, would have been more um, uh, entertaining for me, I guess is the right word. I still liked how it ended here with what he did he went out the way he wanted to being the hero being the guy who sacrificed himself to save the people that he loved and believed in it was a, like you said i enjoyed it but it was a little bit flat for me in terms of what we were expecting based on what the episode had been discussing all along yeah and i enjoy it too i mean i don't i don't want to telegraph the the wrong message i mean this is an episode i enjoy i think it brings the the eddington arc to a a, a decent conclusion i just think that probably there could have been better choices. I really like the the idea that you suggest. You know, he could have gone out in a blaze of glory and still survived. Um, and I think that would have created an interesting dynamic between him and Cisco uh, at that moment, where maybe Cisco's realization at the end seems a little more um, uh, human and heartfelt and true rather than mm -hmm. um, sort of, well, I guess he was, you know, committed. Right. <laughs> that, that, that brings me up to a point that I'd like to talk about now, if we could. And that's, yeah. I mentioned it earlier that this episode made me rethink how I was thinking about Cisco in for the uniform. Um, we talked about last week, whether or not he was just, you know, crazy with obsession when he decided to poison the planet and the way that he interacted with Eddington, with the hollow communicator, he was just so non or non starfleet and we would never expect to see this type of behavior from someone who's a captain in the in in starfleet watching this episode and how he interacted with eddington in the runabout and then his discussion with dax at the end of the episode made me really think as you thought in last week's episode what he was doing was all part of the game he was kind of doing what eddington was doing to him in this episode he was playing Eddington to get the information he needed last week to get him to give himself up. 
because the he's so much calmer and so much more um, thinking with a straight mind in this episode. Sure, they insult each other and they have their arguments, but it's done in such a different way. It makes me think that all of the things that he did the week before or the episode before were all part of the plan. What do you think of that? Um, I can buy that. You know, I and whether it was part of a plan or 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 part of, you know, um, the the realization of his having to be the villain. Uh, either way, you know, whether it was spontaneous or whether it was something he actually planned out, I, I think that it's the same end result, and I I still am okay with it. Um, but uh, but yeah. I I agree that I don't think it was pure obsession. I think that it was Cisco being Cisco to some extent because sometimes he takes those those chances, if you will. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. The thing that made me think this is is we saw how hot-headed he was the episode before. And in this one, I can't imagine that somebody who is so obsessed and so full of hate for this guy and is just is going to get the job done no matter what can be so much opposite in the next time they meet. I'm not sure of the time frame between for the uniform and 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 uh, Blaze of Glory, but he his attitude towards it is so much different. And especially at the end, with seeing Eddington sacrifice himself, it's like, oh gosh, you know, it's really too bad because maybe we would have been able to get along after all. That's the type of thing that I was thinking he was thinking at the time, talking to Jadzia. He had a completely different um, take on what was what had been going on with Eddington during the whole uh, crisis with the Maquis. You know, and that that last scene in this episode, you know, in, in Act Five with Dax and Cisco, is really the one that kind of rubs me the wrong way. You know, because as much as I don't believe that Cisco was acting purely out of obsession, I mean, Cisco essentially says, you know, Eddington's not a traitor. He was just loyal to what he believed in until the very end. Yeah. What's well, like, well, see, that's wrong. That that was the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, and Cisco gains a respect for him that I'm not sure Cisco should have. I can understand yeah. forgiveness. That I understand. But that doesn't sound like that's what this is. And it sounds like a, a bit of a, a too neat a, a wrapping up of this in a series that doesn't necessarily always wrap things up for characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way he screamed, you betrayed your uniform to Eddington the episode prior to what he says here is is as complete opposite as you can possibly get. And it's coming from the same person. Yeah, and I can yeah, believe that I, Ben's, I can believe that Ben's in a different place. You know, I, I can believe that he can empathize with Rebecca on some level, having just lost her spouse because he lost his. Mm -hmm. But the whole, you know, musing about there being something romantic about a lost cause is a line that, you know, in a in a mindset that really just kind of makes me scratch my head at the end of this arc. Because, you know, Michael Eddington was his nemesis. Imagine if James Bond, you know, finally, you know, killed, you know, uh, Blofeld, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. in the course of a long arc. Do you think he'd sit yep. there with Q or with Money Penny and go, ah, uh, Blofeld? He wasn't that bad a guy. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. No. No. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I, I can see where I can see where you're coming with this, and I agree 100. percent It's just it's a different mindset that he has that is not what I would have expected from Cisco. No matter what he went through with Eddington on that planet, it just didn't make sense. So I think you and I are probably of like mind on this, but of the three episodes, which one's your favorite? Uh, for the uniform. The yeah. second one. The second hands, one's great. Hands down. Now, 
I will I will preface that with this. The episode in its entirety is the best one of the three. Yes. The scene when you find out that Eddington is betraying Cisco when he stuns Kira is might be one of the best scenes of the arc. But the episode for the uniform, I think, is the best episode. I agree with that 100 percent. I um and this episode, like I said, it's not bad. I, I wish there were a few different choices. I think it brings the arc to a, a very fitting close. I think that it leaves Cisco in an interesting place. Um, I, I wish it was something that we we revisited again, at least as far as how he felt about the whole Eddington thing. But you know, since we don't revisit it again, we sort of have to take this at face value. And it's not the worst ending for Cisco. It's just it's not an ending that makes sense to me as far as how he feels. Um. I can I can agree with that. Yeah, sure. Cool. So that uh, that kind of takes us to some central questions, and I'm just going to sort of come up with these off the top of my head. Um, obviously, uh, Eddington gets some kind of redemption at the end of this episode, uh, which I think is a, a pretty obvious statement. Should he? Oh, that's a good question. Off the top of your head, and you're hitting me with one uh, curveball that I'm not really sure to answer. Um from my perspective and how I feel about Starfleet and the Federation, no, I don't think he should have. Um, he did. He was a criminal. Uh, he did betray his uniform and his oath. Uh, so I would have to say no. Um, he's he should be considered. He could. He should be thankful that he did. Um, but did he deserve to? No. I I gotta say no. You know, and, and this is one that I was I was very steadfast on one way prior to rewatching this episode and afterwards I kind of find myself not as sure anymore before I was like, uh, like you, Nope, no way. Now he betrayed the uniform. He betrayed Starfleet. He betrayed Cisco. And now I'm, I'm done with this guy. But then it's like, well, I mean, all throughout deep space nine, there is the, the theme of redemption, you know, whether it's, it's Cisco's or, you know, Kira's or, you know, a uh, Damar, you know, or Garrick or, or you name it. Each of those characters gets some sort of redemption in one way or another throughout the course of this series. And I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a recurring theme that we, we haven't talked about much, but maybe we will at some point. Um, so should Eddington get some kind of redemption? Um, I, it's like you said, I mean, he's, he had to be the hero and, and this kind of makes him the hero. I mean, the, the title sort of beats us over the head with what's going to happen at the end before we ever see it. But I, I don't, I don't know if he should have or not at this point. I, I get why they wanted to because we're human and we like redemption stories. And and ultimately, he was doing what he did because he he believed in what he did. But it's like you're right. He betrayed the uniform. He betrayed Starfleet. So I'm at this point. I'm I'm kind of at a I'm kind of at a loss to say whether he should have or not. If that makes sense. Well, let me add this into the equation for you. I agree with you what you say about Deep Space Nine and and the different aspects of redemption. But if you look at Kira, if you look at Garrick, if you look at Cisco, they didn't do anything like Eddington did with with betraying Starfleet and 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 whatnot. All the different things that he did to quote unquote break the law with their storylines of redemption. Um, so that's I think that's one of the main reasons why I would I steadfastly say no he sh- he shouldn't have he should consider himself lucky that he was able to um does that make sense yeah no that makes sense to me I can buy that you know it's like I said before I, I rewatched this I mean I was I was like you nope nope no way no 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 does it change the arc for you um 
at all when you think about it in those terms? I mean, do you do you look less favorably no. at this episode as a result, or are you still able to watch it in context and, and enjoy the story? I'm able to watch it in context and enjoy the story. Yeah, I don't believe he should have gotten the redemption, but it was still a, it was still a great ending to the arc. It was a little flat, like you said. A, there could have been a little bit more to it, but no, it doesn't change the fact that it was it was something that I enjoyed watching. Just because he, I may not have believed that he should have have gotten his redemption and and what he wanted, didn't make it any more or less enjoyable to see it happen. Um, so that's how I look at it. Just because I may not agree with with him being able to get what he wanted. Um, doesn't mean that I dislike the episode any less because of that. I can respect that. And then I don't really have another central question, but, but more or less a comment. And, and this episode, we talked about the B plot a little earlier with Nog. Um, I think you and I have both been of the, the belief for the longest time that Nog is probably the character that changes the most in deep space mm-hmm. Nine from start to finish. It has a complete arc as a, a, a very interesting journey from start to finish. And this really kind of is a significant rung on that ladder is uh, of his progress toward becoming a Starfleet officer in, in the scope of, of that character development, that is very fun to watch. And I have to give Aaron Eisenberg his due in this episode because he really does a great job with what they give him. Also, I have to say that, you know, the, the last of the episodes with Ken Marshall, he just is such a mm. great scene partner with Avery Brooks in these, in these episodes that I'm, I'm sorry that we'll never see Eddington again after this. I would, that's exactly what I was going to say. He, when he was in a few episodes before this arc, he was good and I enjoyed him. He was, I didn't like him at first because he was, you know, rubbing the wrong way with Odo and I'm a big Odo fan, but he ended up being somebody that I trusted watching him on the show. And then this happened. It really is a shame that this arc had to come to a conclusion for the very reason that you just said, Kenneth Marshall and Avery Brooks do such a great job together. And it was, it was wonderful to watch um it's too bad that there couldn't have been more to give to the eddington story than what we got because obviously it had to end and it ended the way it did and also to um to uh to agree with you again as i so often do on trek geeks bill uh aaron eisenberg is just so great as nog you're you're absolutely right he had the most growth during the entire seven-year run more character development and growth than than Jake or any of the other characters. And right from the first episode where he's just this punk little thief Ferengi to what he is. He's now, you know, may not be canon, but he's now captain in Starfleet with the Star Trek Online video game. And this is a significant episode for him. We get to see him do so many things as only a cadet in Starfleet with engineering work that he's doing with the chief and, and security and, and communications when the defiant needs it because of his nice big Frankie ears, but (laughs) he does so much. And, and Aaron does a wonderful job with everything that he's given. But for me, I, I have to say, like I said before, this may be one of the most pivotal steps in his development as a character, because he is afraid of the Klingons and he's afraid of Martok and he stands up to him and he gets exactly what he should get, which is respect from Martok. I thought it was beautiful. Loved it. Love that part of the story. You know, as you were talking, I just had this thought uh, before we, we move on and, and wrap this part of the discussion up. It would have been really great if Eddington had survived this episode and we not seen him again until the last handful of episodes of Deep Space Nine where he becomes a pivotal player in the liberation of Cardassia. That would have been absolutely killer. Oh, yeah, it would have been fantastic. I mm, Wouldn't that have been really interesting? 
mirror universe uh, uh, episode, maybe? No. Novel? I'll get started right now. Typey, typey. <laughs> type- Did you say typey, typey? <laughs> yeah, I said it last week or, or on Discovering Trek or somewhere as I did recently. Uh, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> no, a very good point, man. That would have been pivotal. Yeah, that would have been really nice to see. Um, like I said, having him gone in season five was was it's kind of kind of a negative if you want to look at it that way for the rest of the series. Yeah, and then he could have come in at the end, and and that could have you know carried forth the resolution of the conflict, and and maybe earned him a different type of redemption that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that that could have been really cool. Um, but hey, that would have been nice. It's it's a great wrap up to a fantastic you know trilogy of episodes, and it's been fun to talk about the last few weeks on our first ever three parter for Trek Geeks. Um, mm-hmm. What a what a great great character study on both Cisco and Eddington, and uh, it's just been it's been a great time. And it's been a great time because I've been doing it with you, Bill. Thank oh. you. Dan, at this point, we would be incredibly horrible people if we didn't thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission, whose brand new album, Year Four, is available now on fiveyearmission.net. You and I have heard this album. I've been listening to it almost uh, you know, exclusively on repeat ever since we got access to it. And I love all of the tracks on this album. It is so great to listen to. It's uh, it is right up there with every single other one of their albums. And, you know, it's we have to stress that Five Year Mission is not a Star Trek parody band. I mean, they no, go out, no, 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 they go out and they write original songs based on every episode of Star Trek, the original series, and they are compositions that are fantastic. You know, they are they are songs that that dive into the episode and make you appreciate them from a different light and that's one of the things i really love about their music so we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net get year four and every other album they have while you're at it because they are every ounce of music you hear on the trek geeks podcast and we truly can't thank them enough dan i gotta agree 100 percent with that that's one of the things i love most is they'll take part of a of a little nugget in an episode and they'll write a whole song about it. Something that you wouldn't expect to have a song written about. Like for example, one of the songs that I've been listening to the most right now is the ultimate computer. You don't expect them to be singing about what they sing about in the song. And and I don't want to give it away. You just got to download it and listen to it. So uh, check it out. It's really, really cool. But also what's really cool are the episodes that I find and watch every week with relation to our favorite band five-year mission. And this one's, this one's no different, Bill. Um, I think you'll recognize it right away. Chief engineer Andy has apparently fallen in love again, but this time it's with someone by the name of Lieutenant Mira Romaine. Does that sound familiar to you? Vaguely. Well, yes, it does. It should. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the enterprise shows up uh, at memory alpha and find the entire musical library has been destroyed. And then they have to fight an incorporeal race who threatened to take over Romaine's body. And I got to say that I, I think I, if I remember correctly, one of the tracks in, in year four is a, is a preview of what's coming in year five. And I think this is going to be an episode. And I just hope that the lyrics go something like, do you remember that? It was a very important part of this episode. Yes. It's the lights of Z So you want to check it out. It's a great episode. Lots going on. Memory alpha. Musical Library, Chief Engineer Andy, Lights of Zephark. The Lights of Zephark. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Yes. Folks, despite that farcism, please don't let that hinder you from going on out to fiveyearmission.net, getting a copy of year four and listening to that on a repeat. You will thank us. You will thank yourself for, for treating yourself and your ears to what is a fantastic album at fiveyearmission.net. Dan, next week, we're going to deep dive into a different episode, but we wanted to balance things out a bit, didn't we? <laughs> Very well done. Yes, that's right, Bill. You know, we talked about it recently over on Trek Ranks with our good friend Jim Morehouse. And uh, my amazing, gracious executive producer here on this podcast has given the thumbs up to do this. So uh, it's the ultimate space version of the submarine cat and mouse episode that uh, we love. So we're going to deep dive into the TOS classic Balance of Terror. We're going to break it all down next week on an all new episode of Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. This could be one of the few times that neither you nor I need to rewatch an episode in order to get our, our, our notes about it in line to podcast about it. Because this is one that I know you have seen hundreds of times and I have seen hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. And we could probably just start riffing on it right now. But I am so excited to talk Balance of Terror because it is so pivotal in my experience as a Star Trek fan. Uh, I'm excited for this next week and can't wait to bring it to everybody. So, um, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions. And they are online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. We offer them our sincerest congratulations on the 300th episode on their network, which they achieved this past week. That is, yeah, absolutely Fantastic. amazing. We love every single one of the people over on Tricorder Transmissions. Um, and uh, what a great milestone for them. Here's to 3,000 more and, uh, yes. and more great discussion from some wonderful people. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 137 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. You are either very brave or very stupid, Coconut. <laughs> Courage comes in all sizes. So wait, am I the coconut in this analogy? Take it, take it as you will, sir. And move along. Home. Second chap. <laughs> Bong. Ha, ha, ha. Ah. Don't try to let's do it again. Ready? Three, two, one. No. Oh, <laughs> come on. That would have been fun. It would have been a double bing, dead of a bong. To the bing, to the bong. Shoot, shoot. No, Spotify. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying, I wasn't doing anything. You were getting ready shoot. to salt and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> no, not me. That, no, no. Sorry. You, uh. Sorry. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? fantastic fantastic on this rainy morning yeah it's uh, i have coffee in hand i'm the little nantucket blend 
in my yeah. uh, steaming hot in my cup. So I'm I'm happy. You know, the best part of waking up is coffee in your cup. I gotta say, uh, somebody should some use that as a slogan. I know, right? I got some coconut coffee. Oh. Ah, coconut. Oh. my co- that's my coconut reference. I don't even have to do it at the end of the show now. Thank God. <laughs> so I've been listening to year four ever since I got access mm-hmm. to it. God, I love that album. It's great. I've only listened to a couple of songs, but I love them. And you know what's funny is uh, on Trek Ranks last week, they they did an early uh, listening of one song. Yeah, yeah. And then the first song that I decided to listen to, I listened to. And then I saw something else of what they're talking about. It was all the same song, Ultimate Computer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. And the other thing I love is the, the final track, which has the um, preview for the next album. Right, right. I thought. I think that's very cool. Well, and uh, the la- the next album rounds out with Turnabout Intruder, so it's uh, it's yay and oh all at the same time. Yeah, we, we're gonna have to talk to them and maybe you know extend the contract, well, so to speak. What we need is five YM TNG. Oh my God, they'll be doing it until they're one hundred and thirty. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I can listen to them until they're 130. I can't listen to you until you're 130. You, you wouldn't. I can barely listen to you for half an hour. You weren't gonna have. You weren't gonna have to because I'm gonna leave you in the Nevada desert long before then. Uh oh, I'm gonna get Joey Bats to take me out to the desert. <laughs> Somebody's watched. Look at, him, look at him. He's look at him. He's still breathing. He's still breathing. You watch <laughs> Casino one too many times. <laughs> uh, that's a good movie. That's a great movie. Oh, one of my favorites. It's really uh, the only Scorsese movie I'm a big fan of. Yeah, me too. Um, they could make a movie about his eyebrows, and I might watch it. No? <laughs> It'd be more of a biopic. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a uh, maybe a horror movie. <laughs> it's like, you know, people rave about The Departed, and of course, he won an Oscar for The Departed. And uh, mm-hmm. I just, I, I listen to the, the fake Boston accents in that movie, oh, and I, I yes. can't get past it. Yeah. It's just, it sounds some so great terrible. parts. Yeah, there are some great parts with the accents, terrible. But you're right. I think Casino is his best one. I'm not a big fan of his of his type of movies. But aside from the worst fake dummy sitting in a car before it explodes scene, uh, the movie Casino is just classic. It's just it's fantastic. And now that we go to Vegas, or I go to Vegas more than I ever used to. Now that we go to the convention, I can kind of like you know see scenes of or areas that were that were filmed during the movie. I love it. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the hotels are are gone now. They filmed. I think uh, there's one boom. There's one scene at the Riviera. They filmed several scenes at the Stardust, which is gone. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, there's a scene toward the end of the movie where people uh, are walking in slow mo down the stairs into the casino, over with this Mm -hmm. voiceover. That that was actually the front door at the Riviera because I've I've meandered through there in a somewhat inebriated state many times to try to get a cab after (laughs) after being at the Pepper Mill. (laughs) Oh my God, that's funny. Oh Pepper Mill. Oh, let's do the Pepper Mill. Pepper Mill. Call to God. (laughs) <laughs> how do you say that <laughs> i don't know that's kind of a really random thing so it was that's all right yeah your face is random whoa <laughs> whoa so uh, the end of the eddington arc dude how do you feel about this i'm feeling pretty good about it man i um i watched it again uh just the other day and i, I had forgotten about a couple of things that uh, i really liked and for me it was it was interesting and i'm going to talk about it 
based on our conversation last week, I've got a very different view on Cisco because of what happens in this episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> little tease, even though this is going to be after the episode, it's a little tease before the episode, even though this is going to be after. This is hurting my brain. I feel like we just did some sort of time travel slingshot around the sun kind of deal. Let's do a time warp again. Uh, this, there you go. Spotify is going to kill us. I'm not. I didn't sing anything. <laughs> we don't need any. You want me to sing? No, anything? we don't need any more lawsuits. <laughs> Anymore. Thank you. That's great. Appreciate that. Hey, I can't help it if you know if you're the you were the only person that Five Year Mission has ever taken legal action against. I guess that's kind of something I should be proud of, isn't it? You wear like a badge. Uh, yeah, like a badge of dishonor. <laughs> Like a big, like a big red FYM on my chest, on a big piece of paper. What you really People can walk behind me with a bell and go shame, <laughs> shame. What you really need is a big button that says first plaintiff, you know, with the, <laughs> with the five-year mission album cover, you know, the ones that look like they're being attacked nice. in the sky. Yeah. I like it. I like it too. I like it. I like it a lot. A lot. I'm ready. You um, ready? Yeah. I think I'm ready. Full of energy. I'm ready. You, dude, you were raring to go. I wish that every recording were like this with you because normally it's like pulling teeth. It, I love Spotify, but sometimes it's sad because I kind of got a, like a Bon Jovi riff I'd like to I get figure, into because of this episode. I hate right? that song. Uh, oh my god. So do I. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm right there it's with like you. Before we got on today, uh, you know, to record. I'm, you know, setting up my stuff and putting my microphone in the right spot, and I got that song going through my head, and I'm like, oh f. <laughs> okay like, that oh. stupid bon jovi song oh my god yeah. yeah it fits for the episode title though you ever watch much conan o'brien back in the day no more recently than back in the day so back i don't know what he if he still does this now but back in the day there was a, a regular feature by a puppet called triumph the insult comic dog yes i remember him and Triumph would go to these various things. So there was one where he went to the premiere of uh, The Phantom Menace and tortured Star Wars fans Oof. And, and brought somebody cosplaying as Spock who flipped them all off instead of giving them the live long and prosper salute. Let me stop you for just a second. So he went to the premiere of The Phantom Men Menace and tortured Star Wars fans before they were tortured by The Phantom Menace? That's correct. Okay. I just wanted to clear that up. And then there's another one where he goes to a big Bon Jovi you know, press oh thing and concert at uh, the old giant stadium in New Jersey. And he takes the song, you give love a bad name and turns it into you give poop a bad name. And okay. that's really kind of how I feel about Bon Jovi. Well, okay. That took a turn. Huh. Uh, it's Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't do it. Now. I got to stop myself every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's do this before the, uh, the temptation becomes too great. Uh, the temptations. That's a good band too. Yeah. <laughs> so everything is music with you today cut it out sorry go wear your sequin glove ah. <laughs> 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 <Shamo>. okay <laughs> here we go